Hey y'all, this is the Christ Center Conversations Podcast, and I'm Shelby Stanfill. And I'm Kevin Stanfill. Each week, we come together and discuss the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy listening to this week's episode. Welcome to episode 40 of the Book of Mormon podcast. It's a big, big number. (laughs) Yeah. And it's very exciting to be here. Um, I can say that I've been really looking forward to this podcast. (laughs) Full disclosure, Kevin's going to talk a lot today because he's a lot better at explaining these things. That's That's not the reason. And Shelby didn't study very well. <laughs> I had Kevin teach me for my studies. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm something that I thought about last week was that I really can't wait for us to get back uh, to like regular chapters in the Book of Mormon and not Isaiah chapters because the Isaiah chapters are basically like we're just sharing commentaries on the scriptures, uh, you know, and, and trying to liken those to ourselves and our day. Um, but I'm just excited to get back to seeing what's going on with Nephi and his brothers and stuff like that. So with that being said, let's dive in to chapter 17. So just a little pre pre-chapter 17, Hmm. or pre-knowledge points to know before we start talking about certain things. Um, It's important to know the layout of the land Mm -hmm. and where you can find that um, layout is in the Book of Mormon student manual. And um, it basically just shows the kingdoms and that they're going to be talking about in chapter 17. Um, which we'll just tell you them right now. It's the southern kingdom of Judah, or just Judah is what I would say. And then there's... Which includes Jerusalem. Yeah, so Judah includes Jerusalem, so JJ, right? Way to (laughs) remember. Um, And then that's, you know, obviously south. And then in the middle is um, the northern kingdom of Israel, um, which is where the Sea of Galilee is. And that includes Samaria. So that's in the middle. And then above the northern kingdom of Israel is Syria, which is where um, Damascus is. So at the very top in the north, we have Syria. And then we have below that the northern half of the kingdom of Israel, which includes Samaria. And then below that, we have the JJ, the Judah and Jerusalem. Right. So we're going to find out who's associated where and I, I bet we'll link somehow this picture. I mean, we could definitely put it on our social media. There you go. If you want, yeah, um, we can do that. And it will be under to always find it. If you go to our Instagram story, it'll be under past episodes highlight. So, right. Anyway, I just wanted to preface the geography of the land. A second thing is that the Assyrians, the Assyrians are different than. Syria. Yes. So the Assyrians are far to the east of all of this, which, um, as well as like Babylon and stuff like that. Yeah. 
Okay. So. Um, let's get into it. Yeah, let's let's get into it. This chapter is probably the most heavily, like heavy laden chapters of like cultural symbolism or, or reference that, that I, that we've done thus far. Um, largely because there are so many names and what Isaiah did is what I presume he did from reading it and studying it. He used people's names to, um, to refer to places and like nations. So for example, if Isaiah were writing uh, his poetic scripture today, when he referred to Kevin, he might just call me or refer to me as Dallas, Texas, right? Mm. And he might call um, Shelby Modesto, California, right? And the people reading understand that, oh, he's talking about where they're from. from. Okay. And a a lot of that is because these people are the rulers of those nations. And so maybe more likely would be like um, referring to Trump, President Trump as America, as America. Right. And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, Y'all get the idea. Yeah. So that's what the the queen of England. Oh, with, with England. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, I'm done. Yikes. Um, So when we get into verse one and two, that's why there's so much going on. And um, just a few points. So the name Ahaz, who is the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, that's referring to Judah. The so southern kingdom. Ahaz is associated with JJ. Right. Jerusalem and Judah. Jerusalem and Judah. Are Ahaz. And also associated, as we see in the next verse, with the house of David. Yeah. Okay. Then Rezin, who's the king of Syria. Okay. And then Pekah, who's the son of Ramalia, who was the king of, uh, king of Israel. Okay. So... This verse, all that really needs to be taken away from it is who is designated to each nation or province, region. And also that Rezin, who's Syria, and Pekka, who is Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, they went up toward Jerusalem, which is kind of interesting because they'd be going they'd down. Be going down, yeah. Right? They'd be going south. But... We talk, we go up to the store, you know, or go go up the road, right? So they go up also because Jerusalem is on a hill. That's also like in altitude. So So the two kingdoms up top, which are, I'm testing my knowledge, um, Israel and Syria come down to Judah. And they... Or Jerusalem. Right. And they go up against it as if to combine their forces and, and like as we see later, vex them. Um, but they could not prevail against it, the scripture says. And we'll get more into that later. The second verse in this chapter, um, 
also uses the same kind of uh, references. Um, and it was told the house of David, which is Judah, saying Syria is confederate or allied with Ephraim, which is Israel, the northern kingdom. And his heart, meaning Ahaz's, who is the, the who's Judah, who's Judah, his heart was moved, which is to say he was fearful. And the heart of his people, so all of Judah was fearful because Syria and the northern Israelites allied themselves to come against Judah. Now, can I read a quote? Yes. That? It says, Isaiah's call to the ministry came during the decline of Judah's and Israel's power and prosperity. The northern kingdom of Israel, or Ephraim, had formed an alliance with Syria for, not, for mutual strength and protection against the conquering empire of Assyria, which we talked about earlier is to the east of them. And then it says, when Judah refused to join the alliance, that's when Israel and Syria attacked Judah. Mm-hmm. So just to give a little, there's also some more background about how Isaiah was directed to warn the ruler of Judah, which was Ahaz. Um, against seeking political alliances for Judah in order to defend his people. Right. But but Ahaz, the ruler, rejected the Lord's warnings, and we find that in 2 Kings. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Interestingly, it's it's definitely relevant, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that the Lord was so keen on disapproving of alliances. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that these these rulers of the Israelite kingdoms, they should have been relying on God, but right. instead they relied on other nations, uh, Gentile nations, Right. to be honest. And just so you all know, Ahaz, he didn't make that alliance with Syria and Israel, obviously, but he did make an agreement with other people. And so they became like a vassal state is what they call it and paying tribute to Assyria to escape the threat of Syria and Israel. Um, but right. anyway, we know that eventually they all fall. Yeah. But anyway, we'll get there. Something interesting in verse two that I wanted to bring up. Um, it talks about his, that Ahaz's heart was moved mm-hmm. and the heart of his people, which means that they were afraid. And Isaiah uses some, some imagery he says as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind Hmm. and i wrote in my notes easily swayed acted upon and not acting for themselves that's what trees that get that get blown around in the wind they're not able to act for themselves they're just kind of going wherever the wind takes them and that's what happens when we succumb to fear And we've talked on several occasions on this podcast about the difference between being fearful and having a fear of God, right? Right. I don't think we need to go into that again, but I definitely linked it in my scriptures to the Bible dictionary of fear. And if you haven't heard us talk about it or you don't know about it, definitely look that up. Um, I do feel impressed to say that anybody who's listening at this point who doesn't understand the terms or anything we just said... I would encourage you to go back, like pause the podcast right Mm. now 
and rewind and go back to understand it because it is important. Um, And I've only came to understand it by actually talking out loud with Kevin about it and testing my knowledge on it. Right. So I would go back and listen and find a way that you can say what we said in your own words, right? And refer to the Book of Mormon Student Manual, Chapter 11, to see it all for yourselves. Um, Because I think it's important. So at any point that you don't understand, pause it and go back and listen to it and then move forward on the podcast once you have a full understanding. I I had a second witness (laughs) to that because we talked about this with uh, Alyssa and Brendan and what, what I said to them and then we repeated it on the podcast was when you're reading the scriptures and you don't understand something, that means that you missed something and that's okay. We're gonna, I'm, we're gonna miss things in this conversation. There are verses that we skip past, which it's because we we just don't know. And I couldn't find the uh, you know s- satisfactory reference to them um, without going outside of of church materials. Um, and so don't be discouraged, but definitely go back and either in our podcast or in a manual uh, from Institute or something like that. If you're interested to know about it, it's all there for you to, and, and pray about it. I mean, we, we totally missed the most important thing, which is if you lack wisdom, ask of God yeah, and he will make the truth known to you. I think the reason I'm saying all this is because I feel like if we don't understand, obviously this was important enough to put into the book of Mormon, mm. When, you know, Moroni was a Mormon was abridging the plate, abridging the plate. Oh, yeah. I mean, this part definitely would have been Mormon. Yeah. Mormon abridging the plate. Thank you. And um, it's important because I feel like it's going to relate to us in some future day because there's many nations that exist today with many rulers and countries. There's already a lot of, you know, uh, treaties between certain governments and things like that. And so it is applicable in some way. And so yeah, I know that took away from your no. kind of from your thing about the trees and, and blowing where the wind blows, but it, that's essentially how we can end up if we're not paying attention to these things. Yeah, for sure. So, because yeah. those, those people who were blown around in the wind or moved with the wind, um, it's likely that they weren't reading the scriptures or doing the equivalent of their, of their day. Yeah. They weren't listening to, to the prophets of their day. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Continuing. Um, well, let's, let's go into verse three. So we're, th- we've set the stage or rather Isaiah set the stage where there's this contention among these different nations. And now the Lord has, un- uh, or he says unto Isaiah, go forth now to meet Ahaz who's the ruler of Judah, thou and Shub, thy son. And all that's kind of interesting to take away from this verse, verse three, is that his, uh, his son's name, Shirjashub, um, it actually translates to a remnant will return. And so, and it's also interesting to note that Isaiah named his sons, both of his sons, uh, according 
to like prophecies about Israel and really about Jesus Christ and his his coming uh, as the Messiah. And so we'll we'll actually get to that a little bit more in the next chapter. Um, and then they they met with Ahaz um, basically near an aqueduct, which is what this conduit is. So that's kind of what what uh, that's about. Um, in verse four, um, the Lord is still talking to Isaiah and says, say unto Ahaz, take heed, be quiet, fear not, neither be faint hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands for the fierce anger of resin with Syria and of the son of Ramalia. So once again, we understand that the Lord is basically just saying, don't be afraid of Syria and your northern Israelite kin because they've already expended all of their power and energy. And, energy. and that's what these smoking firebrands, this, this is a, um, uh, the imagery is like two burnt out torches. Right. Okay. Um, and, uh, and largely, uh, the Lord explains it's because Syria and Ephraim, a.k.a. Northern Kingdom of Israel, have, uh, they've taken evil counsel against thee. Um, let us go up against Judah. <laughs> and vex it, which we know that Ephraim, who is synonymous with the Northern Israelites, they've always been envious of Judah. Mm-hmm. I-, I believe, and anyone is correct, or welcome to correct me, I believe the reason why the Israelites or the rather the the Ephraim tribe was envious of Judah is because Judah is the line in which the uh, the savior will come the line of David the line of David and, and that's that's why they've been envious of them and they've also because of their envy they they make kind of a plan to sabotage Judah and they want to go in and it says, let us make a breach therein for us and set a king in the midst of it. Yea, the son of Tabial. And apparently and you can look into it, but the son of Tabial was basically like a, a puppet ruler. Like they were going to go in, they were going to mess up the organization of Judah that kingdom, and they were going to put like a figurehead in the midst of them, uh, in the government, and that way they could control them. But that didn't happen. Yeah, and then the next verse, the Lord says, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. Right. So how comforting is that? (laughs) I really like that you brought that up, because sometimes we get a little bit concerned about, does, does the Lord, is he watching over our political, like the political arena Mm -hmm. in our day. Like, is, is he aware of, well, of course he's aware. I I used that word. I kind of said that like a leading question. Of course he's aware. We know he is, but some people may ask like, and this is not a political podcast, but when someone who was worried when president Trump was elected, they could have easily been like, how did God let this man get into office. People mm-hmm. said that about Obama. People have said that about, about 
so many uh, presidents in the past. So this is not new, but we can rest assured that if the Lord was mindful of ancient Israel, he is also mindful of modern day Israel as well and, and the building up of Zion. And he's not going to let any man frustrate his plan and his will. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But also in the last days, we know that there'll be a lot of corruption, you know, leading up to and that's why coming. That's why we have to be. So it might get to the point where it's hanging on yeah, a thread. Sure. But. But I believe that the Lord will always, he has his hand over this nation. Mm-hmm. As long as, as the long, people are obedient. That's exactly right. As long as the people are obedient and they acknowledge the Lord their God, which I know that that, that can't really describe that doesn't really describe a lot of people, but then again it kind of does. I mean well when when people at my work leave and you know and they say, Hey, have a have a blessed day, I assume that they are Judeo Christian, right? Right. Like they they do believe in God. They do have this Christian background. They may not live all the commandments as they as we understand them, but I believe that we still have a strong. This you know this. this okay, but I'm going to stop you right there okay. because people in California do not say "Have a blessed day." All right, they so hardly just, even say "bye." So, so the South yeah. is being <laughs> hand is over the South. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Don't preach false doctrine. <laughs> but. But my point is that there will be, I mean, think of the Book of Mormon in general. There will be faithful people still keeping the commandments of the Lord, which is why some things will be spared and watched over. Right. But there are a bunch of other things that because of the majority of the population, things will happen that are not ideal for the people who are keeping the commandments of God. Yeah. So just, I mean, it's not this one way check okay we're always protected in america no because there's still wickedness that ex- exists and, and will exist until christ comes in the in the second coming i think we're gonna get to what the the reason that this these isaiah prophecies were retained because what you just said it kind of made me think of what we're gonna get into next okay go we have to get through some other verses first before we get to that point, but we're going to get through them. So verse eight, um, just as a side note, you know, um, when it talks about the head of Syria, um, so it says for the head of Syria is Damascus, meaning the capital of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is resin. The king, the king of Damascus. Syria of Syria as well is resin. I'm not really sure why Isaiah had to go in there. Maybe he was just trying to um, clarify, but he says within three score and five years shall Ephraim be broken. That it is not a people. So, so Israel, Northern Israel, the Israel. Northern Israelites within these, these next several years, um, they'll be broken that it be not a people. That being said, we know that when the northern kingdom of Israel was uh, was scattered by the Assyrians and some of them were taken away captive into Babylon, um, when they did return, when they were scattered, they had to intermarry with Gentiles. And 
they became a different ethnic group called Samaritans, which we read a lot about in the New Testament. So that's where Samaritans come from, is this, the, the tribe of Ephraim being scattered and intermarrying. Mm-hmm. In verse 9, the head of Ephraim is Samaria, meaning the capital of, of, uh, of the northern Israelite kingdom is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is Ramaliah's, Ramaliah's son, who is Pekah. And he says, the, this is the Lord speaking, if you will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. And this is kind of a little uh, warning to all people that says, if you don't believe, if you're not faithful, you won't be established as a people, and especially not a people of the Lord, because that's what happened to these, these descendants of Ephraim, is they were not faithful. They allied themselves with Syria, and when that didn't like work out for them, they they lost their they lost their heritage basically because they became they became uh, intermingled mm-hmm. with these Gentiles. Okay, and I just I put that to Second Nephi chapter one verse twenty, which is only one instance of this reiterated doctrine or principle, which reads. And he has said that inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper in the land. But inasmuch as ye shall or will not keep my commandments, ye shall be cut off from my presence. So this, this is not a new thing. This has been, this happened all throughout history. It happened into the future, all throughout the Book of Mormon. So this is just an example of that. Um. Now we move through a little bit where the Lord is speaking directly to Ahaz. Um, Who's the ruler of, of Judah. Of Judah. And, you know, basically what I take away from verses 10 through 13, um, you know, the, the Lord is trying to you know, he's trying to have a relationship with, with the, the people of Judah. And unfortunately, Ahaz, who's their ruler, who's not faithful, he kind of, he keeps that, you know, he keeps the Lord at, at arm's length is kind of what I take away from this. Mm-hmm. Um, you all are welcome to read more into those verses and, and, and come away with something yourselves. Um, but in verse 14, this is very interesting, talks about that the Lord himself will give a sign. Uh, it says, behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Um, I would assume because Emmanuel means God with us, the fact that the Lord explained this and, and said that this name will be given was meant to reassure Judah that if he turned to the Lord, then God would help him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what I took away from that. There's a quote that goes on from more of what you're saying. Um, 
from Jeffrey R. Holland. Uh-huh. Um, he explained that the whole God, so God is with us. You know, it was meant to assure Judah that if they turned there, God would help them. And he also said, he also explained how this could become another type of and shadow of the Savior. Uh-huh. Um, I'm just going to read it. This is the first time I'm reading it, so hopefully it's applicable. Yeah. Um, there are plural or parallel elements to this prophecy, as with so much of Isaiah's writing. The most immediate meaning was probably focused on Isaiah's wife, a pure and good woman who brought forth a son about this time, the child becoming a type and shadow of the greater, later fulfillment of the prophecy that would be realized in the birth of Jesus Christ. The symbolism in the dual prophecy acquires additional importance when we realize that Isaiah's wife may have been of royal blood, and therefore her son would have been royalty of the line of David. Here again is a type, a prefiguration of the greater Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, the ultimate son of David, the royal king who would be born of a literal virgin, indeed his title, Emmanuel, would be carried forward to the later latter days being applied to the Savior in sections 128, verse 22 of the Doctrine and Covenants. So this just gives more insight into Emmanuel and God is with us. Yeah. Anyway. And it, and in the next chapter, it does get into that idea that, that we learned that Isaiah's wife did uh, bear a son at this time. And uh, he very much was a type of Christ. Right. So verses 15 through 17, mm-hmm. um, there's a couple things that I I took out of that. Nothing, nothing really worth going too deep into. We're going to get to butter and honey later on in verse 22. So I'm going to skip that. Okay. Um, it also talks about in verse 16, for behold, or for before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Hmm. This is basically talking about just the imminent destruction, right? Before this child gets old enough to know good from evil, which is moral Eight. responsibility, Eight. which, and that's interesting because at this time, uh, at Isaiah's time, age 12 or 13 years would be that age of moral responsibility or accountability. Okay. So before this kid is 12 or 13, the destruction is going to come. Okay. Um, verse 18 and 19. This is where I did a little bit of a deep dive. Um, I'm going to read... 18. And it shall come to pass in that day. I also want to note, like as a side note, um, I kind of wish this podcast had been named in that day because it comes up so much Mm. in the next two chapters. Anyway, uh, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall hiss for the fly that is in the uttermost part of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. When they're talking about the flies and the bees, the flies are actually referring to 
Egyptian soldiers, which there was a an alliance made between Judah and Egypt. Because if we look in the map and the geography, if northern Israel buddied up with Syria, Judah was closer to Egypt, which may have been why they teamed up or sought an alliance with Egypt. It's all, Well, it's also in 2 Kings and in the Book of Emmanuel okay. why he paired up. Okay. But anyway, you can go there. Um, so, and then the bees refer to the Assyrian legions. And in verse 19, it says, And they shall come and shall rest all of them in the desolate valleys and in the holes of the rocks and upon all thorns and upon all bushes. So, but what's most important is that the Lord hisses or calls to these, these foreign armies almost as if he has decided, you know, or, or has let them in because of the lack of faith mm. of Judah. Okay. So that's, that's kind of interesting. Um, I did want to, I'm actually going to skip. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Um, so the next several verses, basically throughout the rest of this chapter, it talks about the circumstances that, that occur um, throughout Judah and Israel in a, as a whole, that it becomes a desolate land which we've talked about at length in the previous chapters. Um, one thing that it talks about in verse 21 it says, and it shall come to pass in that day, a man shall nourish a young cow and two sheep. This is basically a, a way to explain the, the depopulated, um, the desolation of the land. And so basically meaning like a man shall nourish a young cow and two sheep is kind of trying to say that because there's, there's so few, um, there's so few livestock, this young cow and the two sheep will be able to be sustained on the land because there's nothing else there to eat up the crops or mm -hmm. the, the food. So that's kind of what's going on. The butter, the butter and honey in the next verse. Yeah. Um, I'm just gonna read it straight from the Go for it. The Book of Mormon manual. Because that's says, what I was gonna do. <laughs> it says butter and honey may seem like luxury items, but the land was laid waste by the Assyrians. Consequently, the survivors had to live off the land like nomadic Bedouins. With no crops to eat. I don't even know what a Bedouin is. <laughs> but anyway, they don't have crops to eat. So butter and honey likely referred to the curdled yogurt that would come from goats or sheep and any wild honey that could not be found. What's a Bedouin? A nomadic Arab in the desert. Okay, so they just said a nomadic Arab with no <laughs> crops to eat. Right. So... While you look at it and think, oh, they're going to have butter and honey, it's, it's not good. Right. <laughs> they don't have any crops 
to eat with the butter and honey. <laughs> with that known, when we go and look back at 15, when this child, this Will be born. son born of a virgin, and it says, butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and to choose the good. I mean, this is just my interpretation of that, but originally you might have thought, oh, that sounds very luxurious. But in fact, it's like, it's kind of like the base, like nourishment of the land. And maybe that humbles him, right? Maybe that gives him more reverence of the Lord, his God, as opposed to his fathers and the people of, of the previous generation who they tried to circumvent God and they tried to just do it, do it alone, do it their own way. I don't know. But isn't that verse talking about Jesus Christ, not the son that Isaiah is having? But it it could be a dual, it oh, could a be dual meaning. In nature. And I mean, I... Well, I, I think of it as if he's born of a royalty bloodline, you would think these kings have feasts for them, you right. know? But yet he comes to a very low state. And the same thing happened to Jesus Christ. When right. he he should have been born in a palace, right, and but, everything, right. Instead, but he, he had nothing. Yeah. So anyway, I get what you're saying. Um. So that was verse twenty-two, by the way. And in verse twenty-three, um, it goes on to continue saying that then the state of the land will be very low, uh, with briars and thorns, but. Um, oh, sorry. oh, and in, in verse 25, uh, I just wrote this. This verse again emphasizes. Let's read the verse first. Oh, yeah, sure. Because they don't know what it is. All right. The and verse 25. Okay. And all the hills that shall be digged with the mattock. There shall not come thither the fear of briars and thorns, but it shall be for the sending forth of oxen and the treading of lesser cattle. So what are you going to say? This verse. This verse, again, emphasizes the wasting of the land, not only the physical waste, but the waste which is the result of wickedness. The land is a choice land, but the people would not hearken to the Lord and were cut off. Hmm. Um. There's also a little interesting thing here. I actually skipped it on accident in verse 24. It talks about, it just says, With arrows and with bows shall men come thither, because all the land shall become briars and thorns. A couple of episodes back, I think it was like seven episodes back, I brought up the fact that the scriptures are replete uh, meaningful of um, anecdotes that that might lead you to assume that the Lord doesn't like hunters or people who go out and gather their own food, right? The the reason, and I just love talking about this, which is why I brought it up today. The the that's not what the Lord doesn't like. The Lord doesn't dislike hunters, right? If you go out 
and you hunt for elk or moose or whatever. Deer. Or for deer. Deer. Sorry, I felt like I said beer. It's deer. <laughs> for deer. <laughs> for wild game. That's not what he doesn't like. What he doesn't like and what he's resulted his people to in times of want is that um, they should be establishing roots, building up Zion. But instead, they're just kind of scavenging and living off the land and like being nomadic. They don't have a place to stay, really. And so that's what is going on here, is that these people are forced to go out into the land with the bow and arrow, which is kind of like this uh, base activity, as opposed to the more noble act, which is to lay agriculture and like provide consistent sustenance for your family. Right. With that being said, when Lehi and Nephi and his family were out in the wilderness, they did have to resort to the hunting of wild game. And that was perfectly fine with the Lord. That's, that's what they had to do. So, but when all possible, the Lord prefers his people to be established in their homes, in one place, rearing their children and providing uh, consistently. Yeah. Okay. So I just had to, I had to point that out. Well, what do we learn from all that, Kevin, as a little takeaway? Why was that all so important? Um, chapter 17 as a whole. Um, yeah. A lot of it, you know, my main takeaway was that the Lord is very aware of man and the, the affairs of men. He's not in some lofty plane of existence completely detached from us. Not only is he aware of it, but he's involved in it. Because like we, we learned, he sent Isaiah unto Ahaz, unto Judah, to try and get this sorted out, right? He wanted them to trust in him as opposed to look to outside counsel, if you will. Um, and they didn't do it. And, and he can't help you. The Lord can't help you when you don't listen to him. Just a hundred percent. Like it's not, it's not going to happen. So that's my takeaway from, from this among the other prophecies that Isaiah put in there. So what I took away from this is a lot of us are from the tribe of Ephraim. <laughs> Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, Ephraim was mad at Judah, right? Um, this helped me understand more the in the Bible dictionary when we read about Ephraim. Um, we know that he was the second son of Joseph. Um, but at the blessing by Jacob, Ephraim was set before Manasseh, who was actually the older son. Um, anyway, so you can read that in the Bible dictionary. But at the bottom, it says Ephraim was given the birthright in Israel. And in the last days, it has been the tribe of Ephraim's privilege to bear the message of the restoration of the gospel to the world and to gather scattered Israel. So first, it teaches me that even though all these nations fell and were scattered, that because of today's restoration, we know that we'll all be gathered. And we talk about that a lot. 
And then the second thing is this. It says, the time will come when through the operation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the envy of Judah and Ephraim shall cease. And that's cool. I've never really understood that part of the Bible dictionary until I read this chapter. And Kevin so graciously taught me about the, yeah. the envy of, of Judah and Ephraim. Um, and I should say the Spirit taught me because Kevin was an instrument of the mm-hmm. Spirit. But that that will cease. It will no longer exist. And so, um, anyway, it's just cool. And that's what I learned. And, and I'm grateful for the scriptures and all that they teach us when we really want to learn. Because that's funny about the scriptures is you can read through it and get, you know, the bare minimum and get the basics, or you can really dive in and get the answers to life's questions and solve uh, 1000 piece puzzles and put them together. And it's all there, but you know, I'm making this analogy to life puzzle. So anyway, but really, and we're all being gathered and we'll be united again. And, and eventually Christ will be that one who is ruling on this earth. And I can't wait for him to rule because it's going to be the best thing ruler we've ever had. That's true. <laughs> you know? So. Amen. Anyway. <laughs> say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Definitely voting for Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't get a vote. Well, I know, we, but we I'm, have, we I'm voting immediately. Right now. Oh, okay. You're you're, like, you're casting your vote. Actively pursuing the time that he comes. Like, I want him to come now. That's a really good point. What are you doing before <laughs> his coming right. that casts your vote or makes, uh, you know, to kind of show your loyalty, loyalty and uh, sustaining of Jesus Christ? There as sustains probably a better word. Yeah, of our of our of our king. Yeah. Right? He's the the shot caller, and he's he's. I can't wait to get back to the temple. <laughs> I just can't wait. <laughs> the temple definitely teaches you about Jesus Christ and how he is the ruler, our king. So, those are the concluding thoughts. I think you know we we got through this one chapter. It was thick. It was thick. So, um, but so much good stuff in here. And uh, next week we're going to get straight into chapter 18, which again, just goes deeper into Jesus Christ, his coming as savior. And we can then look at the dual nature of that prophecy, which is his imminent return in the latter days uh, for the millennium. And I'm going to make a promise right now that I'm going to study more. <laughs> you know, so it's okay. There's t- there's always the opportunity to repent, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm doing it right now. Doing it. <laughs> all well, right. We y'all. love you all. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back at you next week. Bye-bye. We hope you're enjoying the Christ-Centered Conversations podcast featuring the Book of Mormon. If you have any suggestions for the show, please message us on Facebook at Kevin or Shelby Stanfield. We also invite you to visit churchofjesuschrist.org for more information on the Book of Mormon and the restored gospel of Jesus Christ.